Hey, what an amazing, amazing few days together. And, and um, I know from speaking to lots of you that the Lord has been extraordinarily kind to us. And, and, and really, this has been beyond our wildest dreams, how the Lord has met with us. And he's been lifting our heads and he's been restoring our souls and he's been uh, sowing the seeds of dreams into our hearts. And it's just such a powerful thing. And, and now we... Turn, we, you know, with gratitude, with thankfulness, we turn our attention to real life. You know, this is lovely, isn't it? Uh, um, three really good meals a day and uh, lots of Bible teaching and, you know, worship, praying for each other. This isn't real life, unfortunately. Real life happens when we leave. And so we now want to turn our attention to what happens as we go. Jesus said, come. He said, stay. And now he says, go. So why don't we pray? We're so thankful, Jesus. We're so thankful. You are so kind to us. You're so kind. And we pray just even in these last few moments that you would be completing the work and sealing in what you've done. And we just love your scriptures, Jesus. We love how you haven't left us flailing around in the dark, wondering what the heck to do with our lives. We know who you are. We know what you would have us do and how you would have us live because you've chosen to reveal it to us through these pages. And so we just say thank you so much for your word. We pray that you would put fire into your word this morning. Amen. Amen. So we moved house fairly recently, and you know what it's like you, uh, if you live in a place for a particular length of time, you just accumulate things that you don't really need. And, and we had a drawer in our house, that we, and you, I guarantee that every single person here has got a drawer like this. It's full of instruction manuals for uh, appliances that you no longer own, right? So, so something comes in a big shiny box with polystyrene around it, and you, you get three different or four different instruction manuals in all kinds of different languages, and you think, I might need this, even though it's in Korean. You never know. I might need this, and so you put it in a drawer. I, I know that there are two or three people here who are way too organized for this, but the, this, the rest of us, this is how we live, right? And so uh, I just had this thing, and, and, and it's crazy. When you actually look at it, our society is a little bit obsessed with giving detailed instructions for everything. So I, I get it that if you've got a TV... And, you know, the remote control has got 100 buttons on it. So pretty much you need to know what all the buttons do. So you need an instruction manual. Or a washing machine. It's got a lot of programs. You need detailed instructions for a washing machine. I think I know how to work a kettle, right? <laughs> I don't need detailed instructions for those things. Our society is detailed instructions mad. And I found a little website which details or, or um, reveals some of the ridiculous instructions that have been given. So there was a hairdryer whose manual said, do not use while sleeping. <laughs> there was a microwave that said, do not use, oh, hang on, yeah, do not use for drying pets. <laughs> on the packaging of a Marks and Spencer's bread and butter pudding, it said in bold letters, caution, products will be hot after heating. And my particular favourite, which is maybe just a little bit lost in translation, was um, a, a, a Swedish um, uh, make of chainsaw. 
and it said on the instructions, do not attempt to stop chain with your hand or genitals. <laughs> The point is, and you might be wondering what the point is, even though the whole world seems to have gone completely mad for detailed instructions, the call of God only ever seems to come with what is absolutely essential. It's really frustrating, isn't it? You know, I know that the Lord has been speaking to a whole bunch of us, and we would really, really love detailed instructions, but it turns out that actually often what the Lord does is he says, the key thing you need is intimacy with me, and then you need maybe one or two details. Just then maybe the next step. It turns out that the Lord doesn't think we need to know lots of things that we would really, really like to know, and all we in fact need is to just know a few things. So the question I want to look at just as we close together is, what is it that we really need to know as we go? What is it that we really need to know? as many of us leave here and we start to take some steps. And so we're circling back to the same moment that we were at last night. This is the, uh, the, uh, Jesus' last moment with his disciples and the moment of his ascension. And this time we're going to look in Luke's version in Acts chapter 1. And so if you've got your Bible with you, either on your phone or in the original book version, then Acts chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. This command. I never noticed that until just now. This command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. You don't need to know. But here's what you do need to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. So I don't know about you, but I have every sympathy with the disciples. They've heard lots and lots of teaching from Jesus. They've seen some remarkable things. They've been with him. They've been able to ask him questions. Uh, they, they've, uh, they've been eyewitnesses of his death and his resurrection. And um, what they're really saying now is, Lord, uh, if, if, you could, if you wouldn't mind, we would just find it so helpful to have some kind of schedule to work from, right? Like, you know, you've talked about a lot of things happening over the coming uh, ages to come, but, but you know, could you just let us know, should we expect the four horses of the apocalypse now, or have I got time to wash my hair first? Like, they, they just want to know, I mean, you can't blame them. Could you just give us a little bit of detail, some idea of the plan? 
And Jesus essentially says, yeah, you don't need to know that. Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority. I wonder how many of us in this room would just love to know a date or a time. Or just some detail. Lord, I've heard you speak about church planting or about starting a new business or about... uh, applying for a new job, or whatever it is that the Lord has whispered into your heart this week. Lord, could you just give me a date or a time, or just something? And Jesus says, yeah, you don't need to know that. But it turns out that in this passage, uh, in between, uh, or in fact, this moment, in between the Luke 24 version and the Acts chapter 1 version, there are four specific truths, four clear promises of things that he says, Here's something that will happen. I'm going to call them the four wills because, in fact, uh, in our NIV version that I just read from, that's the the way that they put it. Um, uh, This is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. Here are the four things that you do need to know. There are lots of things you don't need to know. These are the four things. And the four things are these. The gospel will be preached. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. And the Lord Jesus will come back. Okay, number one. The church will prevail. The church will prevail because the gospel will prevail. When my brother and I were in our late teens, we went to stay with my uncle. Now, what you need to know about my uncle is he really, really loves wine. Like, he, 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 he's mildly obsessive about it. And he knows lots of things about wine. And he's got a wine cellar to die for. And so we arrive at his house, late teens... Uh, wine wasn't really our thing at that point, but nevertheless, within 15 minutes of arriving at his house, we were drinking the most amazing wine. And then we went to bed, got up the next day, you know, we were just chewing the fat about family things, and we were having this really sweet time. And then he said, listen, I'm going to go and make dinner, and while I do that, I want you to go into my wine cellar, and in the top left shelf, you know, go to the left-hand side, go to the top shelf, There's a bottle of wine there. I've put it there specifically for our dinner tonight. It's going to go really well with what what I'm planning to cook. I want you to go and get that wine. And so I was like, brilliant. And so I went in there, pulled out the bottle of wine, uh, came downstairs, uh, or or went upstairs, sorry, uh, pulled the cork out, poured the wine, and we're all drinking it. And my uncle's like smiling for a while, just like, oh, this is so nice. And then he's got like a slightly perplexed look on his face. He's saying, do you know, this doesn't taste at all like I expected it to taste really strange. Drinking a bit more, he's saying, do you know, this is really strange. This tastes way much more like this other bottle of wine that I've got in my cellar that's, you know, like, it's, I mean, it's almost priceless. Like, it's, it's worth, you know, it's worth a fortune. I just, I, I've been savoring it for just a really special moment. And uh, I was like, all oh, right, that's amazing. I wonder why that is. Um, whereabouts would that be exactly on the... Wine cellar. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know exactly where that is. That's in the top right-hand side of the wine cellar. I just felt like all the blood just drained from my body. I knew exactly what had happened. I had mixed up my left and my right. And you couldn't put the cork back in the bottle. In my study, when I was writing this talk, this link made so much sense. I'm not quite so sure now, but we're just going to crash on. When the stone is rolled away from the grave on Easter Sunday, you can't put the cork back in the bottle. This is the beginning of the end. 
This is the salvation plan that has been put, that, that, that Jesus and the Father and the Spirit together designed from before the creation of the world. This is the way the world will be saved. There'll be a death. There'll be a resurrection. The Spirit will be poured out on my followers and then the followers will take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth until there's, there are people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered around the throne, you know, uh, waving palm branches in their hands and crying out, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. That's the plan. That's the purposes of God that was put into effect on a hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and nothing can stand in its way. The plan is already in process, and it cannot be stopped. Luke 24, 46, Jesus told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. I was reading recently in 1979 in Iran, it's estimated that there were less than 500 followers of Jesus in Iran. Today, nobody knows for sure, but we know that there are at least a million Christians in Iran. In fact, the, the church in Iran is the fastest growing church on the face of the earth. It's growing by 20% a year and has done since 1979. So if the church continues to grow at the same rate, 20% a year, within the next 10 years, that could be more than 5 million followers of Jesus in Iran the fastest growing church on earth. Second fastest growing church nation, Afghanistan. It's wild. The church has never grown faster than it is today, and it's exploding with growth all over the world. Algeria, Somalia, Tajikistan, Kuwait. These are places that we would never imagine in our heads as being places where the gospel is like exploding with life. But the truth is that you can't stop the salvation plan of God. Uh, the gospel will be preached in all nations until there are people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered around the Lamb. We don't need to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but we do need to know that the church will prevail and that the gospel will be preached. And wherever it pre is preached, it bears fruit. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. We don't yet see Iranian growth in Scotland. And two years ago, uh, many of you will have seen it, on Easter Sunday, there was a, the front page headline on the Sunday Herald was Christianity in Crisis in Scotland. And the article was based on some uh, diligent research that had been done on behalf of churches uh, throughout Scotland and what they discovered was that the Sunday Herald is absolutely right. Christianity is in crisis from a purely human perspective. Since 2002, one third of the church has disappeared in Scotland. 573,000 in 2002, 2016, 390,000. And uh, on average, 10 churches in our nation have closed every month. And nearly half of the church is over 65. And when I look at what we're doing, like I, I don't mean to downplay what, what's happening in, in our midst, but the truth is that when you look at it, you sort of think, do you know what, it doesn't look like much. You know, like we're kind of 
bumping equipment in and out of community centers and school halls and, you know, half of the time only some of the kit works. You know, I never forget the time uh, Mike Waldridge has taken Daniel to the airport, I think, but Mike Waldridge is one of our key leaders in our church. He had to sit behind a screen holding two wires together for the whole service. <laughs> There was another time when we just started using the video link and uh, something really strange happened with the way that the video had been produced or whatever. And so uh, every five minutes or so, suddenly I would sound like Alvin and the Chipmunks for a moment. It doesn't look like much what we're doing. But the church will prevail wherever the gospel is preached. It bears fruit. So friends, what Jesus wants us to know is that we're on the side of history. And through the church, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. G.K. Chesterton said, five times in history, the church has, to all appearance, gone to the dogs. And each of these five cases, it was the dog that died. (laughs) The church will prevail. That's what Jesus wants us to know. The second thing he wants us to know is we'll have everything we need. You don't need to know the dates and the times, but you do need to know that God's power will be with you. His spirit will come upon you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I remember when my eldest son went on his first school trip. And I'd ever know, only ever known school trips in England, right? So, so in a school trip in England, you just have to take what is appropriate for the time of year. But in Scotland, you know, you need sun cream and thermal underwear. You know, you, you, it's like, you need to prepare, don't you? It's, isn't it true? You need to prepare for every eventuality. And so my poor son had this enormous suitcase, and it was filled with everything that the teacher had put on the list. And it was absolutely ridiculous. Obviously, he's only ever going to use some of it, but you just couldn't tell what the weather was going to be like, and so he needed all of it. And, and you know, as we're going along to the, the coach, and it's like an emotional moment and all that, and all he's worried about is, have I got everything that I need? But Jesus' point is, you have everything that you need. You have power for personal transformation. You have power to be utterly transformed from the inside out. You have power for courage and boldness. You have power to speak to authorities and powers. You have the power to love those who oppose you. You have the power to say no to temptation and the power to say yes to God. You have the power to contend for joy and the power to bring life from death. We'll have everything that we need. Ironically, my son couldn't manage to fully open his zip on the suitcase, and so he only ever used even a tiny percentage of what he had. But we can use everything that we have. Several years ago, about a month before Christmas, Taryn ran out of perfume. That's quite a major catastrophe in our house. And she tried everything, you know, like tilting the bottle to one side to try and find where it's soaking from, or, you know, like... What's happening to me? (laughs) Do you know, before I met Taryn, I was terribly well-spoken. And now I'm sort of mockney and a little bit fake Scottish. It's all gone badly wrong. 
Anyway, so she'd run out of perfume, and thank, thank goodness, it was just before Christmas, and, and so uh, one day my, my really elderly grandma phones up, and she says, uh, oh, what would you like for Christmas? And so Taryn's like, I would like Clinique Happy, please. And then for the next month, she has to make do with, like, Boots Body Spray or something like that. I mean, thank God for Boots Body Spray. But, oh, I'm sorry. I'm being so... I love you. I love you. Anyway, so... My mum phones up just before Christmas, and she said, don't worry, I've taken Grandma out shopping. The Clinique Happy is on its way, and it's all good in the hood. And, and we, we get to Christmas Day, we have our Christmas lunch, and then the, Christ, the presents get passed out, and Taryn can't wait to open her present. She's like, I think I know what this might be. She opens it up. It's a pocket sewing kit. <laughs> this is absolutely true, isn't it? You were like, oh, that's... So lovely, Grandma. You know when you have to say, that's it's exactly everything that I've always wanted, Grandma. Thank you so much. And then all the other presents would get passed around. And, and it just so happened that that particular year we had this lady. None of us really knew who she was. Uh, she, she's some member of our distantly extended family. None of us have ever seen her before or since. She may have been an angel. But... <laughs> Anyway, nevertheless, she was, she was in the room and she was the last person to receive a present. And Grandma said to Taryn, hey, Taryn, would you mind just taking that last present and giving it to Hilda or Bertha or whatever her name was? And Taryn picks up this present and she's like, I'm, of course. <laughs> it's like being prized out of her grippy hands. <laughs> Do you know, the Lord has given you exactly the right gifts. He's given you the right gifts. He doesn't make mistakes. Whatever it is that he's calling us to do, he's given us exactly the gifts that we need. Number three, we will bear witness to him. In both accounts, actually, in, in the Gospel version and also in Acts chapter 1, Luke tells us that Jesus specifically says, you will be my witnesses. You will receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When I was a, first a Christian, I became a Christian when I was 15, I was so delighted and thrilled and just excited about being a Christian and everything that Jesus had done for me. And I'd been on a bit of a journey. And so, uh, you know, it came as just such a thrill. Like, this is such an amazing thing to be a Christian. And I just wanted everyone, the whole world, to know. I just wanted everyone to be a Christian because I knew what I'd experienced personally. And, and there was a little group in my church that I found out about. Uh, it was a prayer meeting called Prayer for Revival. And I, for memory, I mean... I think it was six o'clock every Friday morning they met this little group for prayer. And that was basically the middle of the night for me when I was like 15, 16 years old. But I was desperate to get to this prayer meeting. And so I set um, alarm clocks all over the bedroom. You know, like going off at different times and just desperate to try and get out of bed. And for two weeks running, I slept through every single alarm. And so on week number three, and I promise this is absolutely true, I stayed up all night so that I could make sure that I would still be awake in order to get to the prayer meeting, the prayer for revival group. It's just so desperate for people to come to know Jesus. 
And uh, the other thing we did was we formed a little group. And those of you who know me well will know that how unbelievable this is. But we joined this group that used to do, like, drama on the streets. <laughs> and so we all had coloured T-shirts and white gloves. And we went out onto Kingston High Street. And some of us would cover up our, uh, our coloured T-shirts and our white gloves. And we'd just look casual. And we would be the crowd, you know, like... It's just the beginnings of a crowd. And then others of us would um, put, put some music on the ghetto blaster. Remember that? And, uh, uh, like, worship music. And then we would do, like, mime to it. Uh, and I, I can't remember the mime. I'd love to be able to do it, but I can't remember. And also act out scenes of, like, crucifixion and stuff like that on the streets. We would just, like, do anything. And, like, put your hands up if you did something like that. Yeah, yeah, okay, so, so some of you are like, I cannot believe this, and other of us are like, I know exactly what you mean. I probably did exactly the same sketch as you, you know, all of that stuff. Also, around that time, I discovered that the Christian bookshop in Surbiton had a rail of Christian T-shirts, and I was like, this is perfect. You know, even just as I'm walking around, I can communicate the good news of Jesus. So I had one, I promise this is absolutely true. It said, worship the best, or die like the rest. <laughs> I had another one. It looked like it said heavy metal from a distance. And then when you got closer, you realised it actually said heavenly metal. <laughs> so anyway, I'm meeting up with a, um, um, uh, you know, a spiritual father, a mentor in the Lord. Uh, and uh, he was... You know, I was just saying, I'm just so desperate for people to come to know Jesus. And I've joined this prayer for revival group. And I've joined this street drama group, mime group. And I'm wearing these Christian t-shirts. And I'm just really desperate. And he said, I, I don't want to say the obvious here. But can I just point out? I mean, he said, I love your heart. I can see that you're really desperate for people to come to know Jesus. Can I just point out that you seem to be doing literally everything you possibly can that doesn't involve speaking to a single person. The gospel is a spoken gospel. You will be my witnesses. It wasn't actually very long after that. In fact, just before I started Bible college, I met this guy who was the pastor of a church of 75,000 people in South America. And I asked him the question that almost everyone in this room would ask, which is basically, how do you get that? <laughs> how do you get a church of 75,000 people? I don't know the answer that I was expecting. I don't know what I thought that he would say. Um, I imagine I thought that there would be some kind of spiritual key to the whole thing. And he said this. He said, there actually is a key to it. If you want a church of 75,000 people, you have to tell at least 75,000 people about Jesus. You will be my witnesses. I long for a revival of the sort that we're familiar with in books. I long for God to walk the land and for people to be overwhelmed instantly with a sense of their own sin and their shame in the street and just kneel down and confess that Jesus is Lord in the way that we've read about in books. I long for that. I long for that. But in the meantime... In about a couple of hours' time, he's going to scatter us all over Scotland. And his plan A is that we open our mouths and we speak about the Lord Jesus. 
you will be my witnesses. Okay, here's the final of the four promises, the essential things that we need to know. So the gospel will be preached, we will receive power, we will be his witnesses. And finally, Jesus will return. He will return. I love this hilarious picture of the disciples standing there, just looking up into the sky and waiting for the four horses of the apocalypse to arrive. It's almost as if they're just ready for it already. And these two men, who almost certainly are angels, say this, verse 11, Why are you still standing there looking into this sky? Into the sky, This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. In the vineyard, we're all about the kingdom, hey? So we talk a lot about the kingdom. And, and we have this precious, precious theology of uh, the kingdom is here, but not yet fully. And I love that. It explains so much of our present experience. It explains so much. And, and that's why it's so unbelievably sweet. But there is coming a day when the kingdom will be fully here, and there's no such thing as not yet. Jesus will have come back and just put everything right. There'll be peace and righteousness and justice. Absolute healing. Sinlessness. I've said many times before that at childbirth, I understand it's an uncomfortable thing for women, right? I understand that. <laughs> but what's often overlooked is how traumatic it is for the men. And, and is it like... <laughs> I know I've lost half of the room, I get that, but, <laughs> but for the blokes, it is a traumatic experience, right? And, and, and so I have a little ministry of going around to speaking to the husbands of pregnant women and just saying, can we just have a quiet word about how traumatic it is? Just, uh, you're all laughing, but, but just, uh, no, I won't ask for a show of hands because no one will be brave enough, but anyway. <laughs> so the birth of our first child goes a bit like this. Um... I'm 180 miles from where Taryn is, and I get a phone call to say I'm in labor. And so I, I get in the car, obviously, and I drive as fast as is legally acceptable, plus a little bit more on occasions. And, and, and uh, as I'm driving along the road, Taryn's mum's giving me updates. You know, oh, it's just a little bit sore now, and, uh, you know, oh, it's, it's nothing to worry about. Just... And obviously, it turns out later on, she is just... Uh, trying to not get me to kill myself on the way to the place, but actually things are really ramping up. And so when I got there, I was really shocked. Like, she's pale, she's shaking, she's, like, weeping. She's clearly in absolute agony. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, it's just horrific. Uh, and then the midwife who was there was like, I need to take you now and so we got into the midwife's car and she drove us to the hospital and on the way like Taryn's waters break in the car and you know she's just like Ag she's just clearly and I'm, I'm by this point I'm thinking do you even know that I'm actually here do you know like because it's such a primal thing it's and, and I, I, I just was horrified like, nothing had prepared me for it and uh, then we, you know, we get to the hospital, and obviously the pain just r ramps up and ramps up. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh! But do you know what happened when our first son was born? She smiled. It was just for a moment, as if the previous hours hadn't happened at all. The thrill, the joy, the love, the delight in this new life. 
this amazing new child that's born into the world. It was like everything else has faded into the background, just for a moment. And Jesus actually said, uh, uh, talked about childbirth as being an explanation of what this life is really like. John chapter 16, verse 21, he said this, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is the time of your grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice. The, the, the point is that, that as we leave here and, and we scatter all over Scotland, and I love the thought of that, into every sphere of society, you know, media, politics, um, uh, the arts, uh, business, uh, and commerce, the third sector, the church world. You know, it's like we're, we're scattered, we're, we're parents, we're at the school gate, we're, we're um, fostering and adopting children. It's like we're, we're, we're going to the ends of the earth and in, infecting the whole of the society with the gospel and we have a mandate and a mission to reproduce ourselves and to reproduce our churches and to see all kinds of extraordinary things happen in the days to come but the the truth is that we will not be unopposed in fact the very reverse is true the enemy will see everything that we're doing we're doing and he'll hate it and he'll do everything he can to stop it. He'll try full frontal assault. He'll try insidious little thoughts just sewn into your mind. He'll try, and this is the worst trick of all, and we see it all the time. He'll try and break apart relationships, break apart marriages, break apart small groups, break apart churches. He'll try to put sow division in wherever he can. He'll harden hearts, you know, try everything he possibly can, and he'll oppose us in every sense. And this is not playing by the Geneva Convention, right? This is like the most horrid kind of spiritual war. Now is the time of our grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice. Jesus really, really wants us to know that as we leave here today, we don't need to know the times and dates, apparently, that the Father has set by his own authority. But we do need to know. We do need to know that he's with us, that he's for us, that the, the gospel will go out from this place and it will bear fruit. And he's giving us absolutely everything that we need. He wants us to know that we'll bear witness to him wherever we go. And he wants us to know that one day he's going to come back and then there'll be no more not yet because it'll all be now. Why don't we stand?